Hi everyone, welcome to Type Talks. Today we have our lovely guest, Michelle from Heart of Michi, and I will have her linked below. And today we'll be talking about her concept of synotypes. And synotypes are the most common mistypes for a certain set of types. And it is like the top four mistypes for your specific type. And there's a certain like formula to it. So I'll go through all four quickly. So the first common mistype is the type that is the introverted or the extroverted version of your type. So if it's if you're an INFJ, your common mistype could be ENFJ or an ENFJ's common mistype could be an INFJ. And so that's the first type of mistype. The second type of mistype is your dominant function. So it's the type that you share a dominant function with. With the INFJ, they would share it with the INTJ. And so these are a possible mistype too. The third mistype is the type that shares your auxiliary or your tertiary function. So for the INFJ, this would be the ISFJ because they share FE and TI. And so the fourth common mistype is the JP flip. So with the INFJ, it would be the INFP. But let's be real now, almost every type has an INFJ phase where they right. think that they're <laughs> INFJ. So any type is capable of mistyping as INFJ for a, a, at least a small period of time. <laughs> exactly. But I, yes, I will say on the official MBTI, only 3% of people score INFJ on the official MBTI, whereas on online forums, it's around like 50% probably. So yeah. I would say the mistyping problem of people all thinking that they're INFJs does not come from the official MBTI. Only 3% of people actually score INFJ on the official MBTI. And the mistyping problem doesn't have to do with the official indicator. Well, it, anything, anything can cause you to mistype. Right. But a majority of it doesn't come from that. <laughs> exactly. Well, and I mean, if we're going to get into the mistyping, I mean, the most popular website for typing is 16personalities.com, which is really a big five test disguised as MBTI. So of course, like a lot of people who are even going to try to figure out who they are, are going to be more open-minded, intuitive. They're going to be, I don't know. Anyway, we kind of mentioned this a little bit before, but it's just a lot of people on the big five are going to, are going to get an INFJ like response. I mean, it's just a lot of us go through phases where we feel like that. And big five is especially fluctuative. That's something that they, they openly express that they know it's a fluctuation and that people are different on the big five scale because it is a scale. Um, and so it makes a lot of sense that people type as INFJ and it's, it's kind of idealized in the community in general as well. So they find out or like their friend is like, oh, you kind of seem like an INFJ because you're introverted and open-minded and you seem sensitive. Like, duh, you're an INFJ. Take the test and then you get the test and you get INFJ and it's like confirmed. All right, we're good. Let's go with all of this. Let's just, ev everyone on the internet is an INFJ. And I think uh, it's kind of sad that so many people are typed as INFJs because it creates a sort, a sort of stigma in the community where there's an immediate distrust if somebody says they're an INFJ. <laughs> yeah, but that's why on my show, I just never reveal my type. So I'm like, you guys can figure it out. You'll you'll find it. I'll eventually say it. But <laughs> it's just that I know that it, it's like a, a type that is normally mistyped. And I don't want to I don't want to explain myself. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But like, it's very desirable. The INFJ score because 
a lot of people think they're introverts. You have Oprah Winfrey going like, I'm an introvert in the most extroverted voice oh you'll God. ever hear. <laughs> my sister said that she was an introvert too. For like two full years, she was like, I am such an introvert. And recently we finally had the conversation. I was like, you know, you're, you're, you're in no way an introvert. And she's like, yeah, I realize that now. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of extroverts think that they're introverts because they had to learn socialization but to be a Jungian extrovert is not socialization it's a focus on external things external to the self whether it be external ideas external sensations external productivity or external harmony like it's a focus on things outside of oneself. And introversion is more of interacting with the contents within yourself. So you're you're going over the insides of your own a thought process or the own things inside your mind's contents. That's a small differentiator between those two. And so I would say that like a lot of people have to learn socialization because um, we're put into environments that don't cater to our natural selves. So we just naturally have to learn how to do it. But you can still be an extrovert who's learned how to socialize. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and you can be an extrovert who wants alone time because everyone needs alone time or, or right. also go or, or be an extrovert who is feeling a little depressed. Like I know that when I was most depressed, I would overthink every single interaction with people. I would spend hours upon hours just like going over what happened and trying to like think of ways that it could have gone better. And just like in this kind of mental loop where I just kept going over the same thing over and over and over again. And if I had taken MBTI at that point in my life, I would have definitely tested as an introvert because I was just socially anxious and struggled with interpersonal react, uh, relationships. And even though like over my entire life, I'm definitely, I mean, socially, I'm also an extrovert, though I'm more on, and I would say I'm an ambivert now, but like the trend over time, people definitely recognize that I'm an extrovert. They see how easy it is for me to interact with other people. And I think that's also kind of a definition of extrovert is it's just so easy to get outside of yourself. Whereas introverts, like for example, Tim, he'll just have like he's got his whole world going on inside of his head and it's really hard for him to step outside of that. And that's not a temporary state. That's his natural state. And he can be very charismatic and people can really enjoy talking to him and he can really enjoy being around other people and, and being social, but his main mode of being is inside of his head and mulling over these things. That was so well said. Bravo. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah. So that, that was a clear differentiation. It, yeah, and majority of people tend to identify with introvert. Also, I think because um, there's like a cell phone generation where people oh, yes. start to interact like non-face-to-face. -face, so they're like, oh, that must be because I'm an introvert. People use a lot of ways to think that they're an introvert. Yeah, I think, I, think, I mean, sorry to take us on a little bit of a tangent, but um, I mean, everyone from millennial on has had so much connection to the internet I made, I have throughout my entire life made more friends online than I have in the real world because the real world is scary. Uh, and there's no, like, there's no quick escape button. Like with, with technology, you can just click, you can just close the conversation. If it got too awkward, you could just be like, I'm leaving by. And like, the consequences aren't as extreme as when you're in person, when you can see their reaction after you mess up and you can like, 
feel the tension and the change and everything. Like it's much more, um, it's much more real in real life. I don't know. It's like, it's much more connected in real life than it is online. And so uh, that distance I think can, I mean, it's making society as a whole more introverted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So society as a whole is more introverted and it causes people to also mistype as introvert. And it's also like people type themselves off of behavior too, because it's m what's most mm. visible and obvious. So people will go off of that. But um, Jungian type is why you do something. It's not necessarily your surface level behavior. <laughs> so yeah. And that's and then, exactly what I love about it is the why. Like, why are people making these decisions? Why do they react this way when I say this? Why do we not get along? Why do we get along? It's, it's, it answers those questions. Yeah. Uh, and I love it too because of that reason as well. And so the, the next letter, um, N or S, a lot of people type as intuitive, even when they may be a censor. Uh, and it's like a huge pandemic. There's a huge intuitive bias in the community. And I would say it's because like on test, it's like, do you have a vivid imagination so intuitive or do you have no imagination at all? <laughs> and you're a born person yeah. and you're a censor. <laughs> And that's totally not true. <laughs> oh, that's so toxic too, the way that it's written. And it's like, how many people are actually going to answer censor to these questions? Like how many people are going to say, no, I have no imagine. Who is going to say no <laughs> to that question? Just not happening. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> like, and, and so like so people misportray censors. <laughs> so my broad statement would be that if someone thinks that they're a sensor, it's more likely that they're typed correctly than if they think that they're an intuitive just because um, that, that bias there. And so everyone wants to be cool, special, thought-provoking. Sensors are thought-provoking, by the way. Yes, absolutely. They just lead uh, with a precedence on practicality. <laughs> right. So, yeah. Do you have any um, thoughts on why people mistype as NRS, Michelle? I mean, I think it's... Because a lot of times N is also related to philosophy um, and everybody has a personal philosophy and everyone likes talking about their philosophy. Um, and also with the tests, specifically like 16 personalities, they're testing openness, openness to new ideas, openness to new concepts. Do you think about concepts? Everyone thinks about concepts. It's how do you approach those concepts that changes? But the tests aren't aren't testing how do you approach concepts. They're saying, do you like new concepts or do you want to stick to what you know? Like how many people are like, no, I don't want to, I don't want to do anything different than what I'm doing. I want to stay exactly the same forever. I just want to be this and I just want to live in the moment and be right here and I will never change. Like people are just not like that. Um, my sister, for example, she tested as ISF. Oh no, she tested as INFP. Um, and when she was reading the descriptions and it was talking about how INFPs are very, um, they, they're very symbolic and they really like poetry and these kinds of things. She was like, yes, that's me. When I read a poetry, like I immediately have all these different, um, I have an interpretation of the poetry and it's very vivid to me and I really enjoy poetry and I like this stuff. Um, and so it was like, okay, yeah, 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 that makes sense. You're a, you're an intuitive because imagery is intuition. <laughs> <laughs> but 
But then when you actually get to know her, um, we were talking the other day, and I actually want to have her on my channel to talk about this, but we were talking about how when she goes into a new environment, the first thing she does is she sizes up the people around her. She sizes up the relationships between people. She tries to figure out how everybody is connected. And then she's very present in the moment. She List, she smells like for her, her number one scent is her smell. Um, so she will smell people and she'll get used to their smells. She'll be very aware of um, patterns of behavior of people, which which is all sensing. Like she's just so in the moment when she gets to meet people. And then with the FI, like trying to understand these relationships and how they work and where she's going to fit into them and which one she wants to fit in with and which one she doesn't want to fit in with. Um, and it's for her, it's also visceral and it's real and there's no disconnection. It's co she's completely connected to reality, which, you know, for an INFP, not the case. Completely disconnected from reality. <laughs> yes. um, but I can definitely see why so many ISFPs would mistype because, of course, they're, they're philosophical and they have these, they like interpreting things. Like, we all use intuition. We all see the connections between things, but how much energy and attention are you putting to those? She's not constantly in this world of connect, uh, connecting ideas and concepts and seeing these overarching themes, but she enjoys doing that. But it's not her main mode of being. <laughs> <laughs> that That's true, yeah. It, it's kind of like being an intuitive is feeling like you're a floating head that is just ideas. Well, I'm kidding. That's an exaggeration, but it can, because it's you're- It's true though. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's like you're, what takes precedence is the connections between things rather than the thing itself. And so you're, you're stuck in your own imagination sometimes. Whereas like sensors, I have a, a firmer grip on the world and the reality without being like absorbed in- like endless analysis of the never-ending existence of life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like we ENFP and INFJ can really, really get into very, very easily. <laughs> it's like, you know, with my ESTP boss, he and I have really great conversations and we'll talk about um, themes and, and issues with society and we'll chat about that and we'll both have pretty strong opinions and we like having those conversations. But when it comes down to it, it's, if it's not practical to have that conversation, he doesn't want to have it. If we have the space and the time and the freedom, he'll, he'll indulge into those concepts and those conversations. But to him, what takes precedence is what's going on right now? What do we need to do to solve this problem that's right in front of us? What matters right now? Sure, like if we have space to not think about what matters right now, let's, let's do it. But let's do what matters right now. Whereas for me, it's harder for me to stick to what matters right now because I want to think about three months ahead what we're going to make the decision on based off what information we have right now and the possibilities that could happen in the future. I want to think about those those plans and I don't want to deal with the here and now. I want someone else to deal with the here and now for me so that I can continue to think about five months, six months, ten years in advance. <laughs> <laughs> That's lovely. Yeah, it's like both. Everyone can do both. Um, sensors tend to place precedence on what's real. Like SE is like what is real and you can experience, and SI is like what's stored and real. So mm -hmm. it's stored, real, uh, concrete things. And so 
with intuitives, they place more precedence on what's possible or like what could be because they're focused more on imagining the connections between things. And so you can do both. It depends on like what takes precedence. And, and so it's like left hand, right hand. Like what is your automatic response with your with writing? Exactly. <laughs> And what, what do you have to make space for? Because if you have to make space for intuition, likely you're not an intuitive. Because <laughs> for me, I have to make sense, I have to make space for taking care of things in the here and now. Like I have to make space for taking the time to, to actually enact the plans that I've come up with <laughs> and dealing with the detail mundane uh, work that's required in order to do that. And, you know, I come up with these systems. It's like, oh, this is going to automize it. It's going to make it so great. And then I'm like, oh yeah, I actually have to, I mean, it's automated, but it's not completely automated to where I have to do nothing. Like I still have to do some of it. Like <laughs> that's such a good point. So do you have to consciously remember to do day-to-day -day tasks? So the sensory, or do you have to like consciously remember to like, Talk, think about existence itself, existence itself and the many things that could spur off of that existence itself. So what I, is like... <laughs> I can't turn off the thinking about existence. I mean, I'm watching anything and I'm thinking about how that connects to the world and how that connects to what we need to do as humanity. And like, I'm always thinking about what humanity has to do with the information that we have. Um, and the only way that I've found taking care of the here and now and the, and the details of life <laughs> is to make these habits where I don't have to think about them anymore. So like with breakfast, I would sure, I would love to eat something unique every day for breakfast. That would be amazing. But you know what that does? That takes away mental space from thinking about, <laughs> thinking about my plans. These plans could be for later today. They could be for tomorrow. They could be for 10 years from now, but I'd much rather think about, you know, what, what I could do and what my plans would be than, you know, what I'm going to pick for breakfast. Like it takes time to think about what I'm going to pick for breakfast. And then I nitpick and I'm like, well, that sounds good, but maybe I could have this instead. Well, that sounds good. Maybe I could have that instead. And like all that time is being wasted and taking away from my intuitive thoughts. <laughs> that, yep. that is fantastic. <laughs> and, the, and the thing is like, when you're in that intuitive space, sometimes like with my mom, she's the SE Dom and she's like, she's like, she notices, delay response times in in people who aren't SE DOMs. So for SI DOMs, it's because like, it takes a slow amount of time to recall that SI. But for intuitives, it's because like, they can't act until like, they're, they, they've chosen in their mind to consciously go into action. So yes. my mom, my mom notices it. She's like, why is there like a delay response time for some people? I'm like, we can't all be SE DOMs with you, mom. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> we can't all just like catch that ball that's throwing been thrown in our face like so it, it, it takes a second to see the ball you know <laughs> uh, I'm jealous of Essie though it'd be nice to I, I think life would be a lot easier if I was an Essie Dom I think um, but then I wouldn't have someone to have good conversations with <laughs> you gotta what? think <laughs> <laughs> oh man so yeah and then there's the feeling and thinking dichotomy that people you know mistype as feelers very often there's like a bias towards that i think like everyone like some people most people want to see themselves as a nice person and mm -hmm. so they're like oh feeler do you want to be a nice person or a meanie 
And right. so, <laughs> because I think, uh, I think on the big five test, what they're testing for is assertiveness, right? And assertive would be T. Um, and, you know, very few thinkers are really all that assertive, like take any INTP. <laughs> Not going to be assertive, probably going to test as an INFJ or an INFP. Yes. Um, and also like sensitivity. If you're a sensitive person, you're going to assume that you're a feeler and you're going to answer those questions with your sensitivity in mind. And most people are fairly sensitive. Um, I think some of the only people that might actually test correctly on, on 16P would be like an ENTJ or ESTJ because they are more prone to being assertive. They're not always assertive, but I think more likely than not, they would test correctly, um, at least in the thinking feeling divide. I don't know about the rest, but I think in the thinking feeling, theirs would be probably like mostly thinking. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And so like the big five uses like agreeable and disagreeable. And it's like, well, like a lot of ITPs that I ask, like, do you see yourself as agreeable or disagreeable? They actually say like agreeable because they have FE like as an inferior or because like they care, like, mm -hmm. but, um, and sometimes they're accidentally disagreeable, but then they realize people's reactions and then their FE regrets it. Yes. <laughs> they feel so much guilt for that. I, I feel bad for them. Like, uh, like you're just trying to figure it out. You're just trying to make sense of everything. And when people say things that don't make sense, you want to understand. And like every INTP I know wants to understand the other person's point of view and why they think that way. They want to make sense of that. They don't want to hurt other people's feelings and they feel incredibly bad doing so. Um, whereas, you know, I more feel bad when people don't like me. Not that I've hurt their feelings. <laughs> I mean, I might feel bad if I hurt their feelings, sure. Uh, but I think I'm more worried about how they view me than their feelings, which is it, it can be it can could be seen as selfish. Who knows? <laughs> Well, it well, it's good in its own way. Everything mm. has its pros and its right. cons. <laughs> so yeah, I totally agree. And so now you guys have an idea of why people mistype as a feeler. And so the J and the P dichotomy. No one wants to be like a messy a tornado that never gets anything done. Everyone, everyone wants to be that conscientious person who 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 meets their goals in life. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And um, when I used to when I took this 16 personality test for the first time, I think I actually did get INFJ on that website. And that was a few years ago when I was really working on making sure that I follow through with things, making sure that I accomplish like my goals. And it was really important to me that I'd be more conscientious. So at the time I really was more conscientious and I viewed myself as being conscientious and I tested as an INFJ. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And so in, in the big five, um, it doesn't actually measure like the JP that Young intended. So I'll go into that near the end. And so now you guys have an idea of why people tend to mistype as INFJ in the online community. It's not on the official MBTI, only, only like I said, only 3% of people actually type as INFJ on the official. It, the huge mistyping problem is a majority from the internet. And that's why you cannot trust everything you read on the internet. Or <laughs> the shocker. <laughs> yeah. And so before we talk about synotypes, which is your amazing concept, Michelle, um, I would like to talk about how the dichotomies are actually related to the cognitive functions. 
So I know a lot of people are like pushing back against the dichotomies because they're like, it's causing people to mistype, but that's because some tests use the dichotomy behaviorally. So right. they, but there's another way to look at the dichotomies, which is they're actually intricately related to all of the cognitive functions. And I'll go over them right now. So the first letter, um, introversion or extroversion. So introverts tend to double down on their introverted functions, uh, especially when under stress. And extroverts tend to double down on their extroverted functions and, and just naturally, right? And so you're going to have this dichotomy. And it's not because uh, one is more, one needs alone time and one doesn't. That's not it. But what makes an extrovert an extrovert is that I think there's common qualities that tie all extroverted functions together. So any S-E-T-E-F-E, they all have qualities of, like, for example, bouncing off the world. So yes. like, and yeah, so they'll share that. Whereas with introverted functions, they're more about post-processing. So after the fact, I need to mull it over inside myself. And so the dichotomies can be Jungian if you see it like this. The first one is all extroverted functions uh, versus all introverted functions. And you're going to lean, you're going to lean slightly one way or another. And so that's how it relates to the cognitive functions there. And then you have the middle two letters. So NS and FT. And how that relates to the cognitive functions is that if you notice your type, your first two functions. So for an INFJ, it would be NI and FE. The middle of my type code is actually NF. So you can figure out the coin of your first two functions in Jungian theory through the middle two letters of your type. So you, you already know my top two functions off of that. And, and so you don't know the orientation, but I would argue, so you know, I'm, I'm going to have a theory that's going to be coming out um, in a few months. And it's it's basically going to say that you have the coin of intuition. You can take it in an extroverted or an introverted way. But um, there's there's going to be like um, high definition and low definition functions. And so mm. um, I'll go into that in depth in another video. <laughs> but now you, you see that the, the middle two of your code is your, your dominant and auxiliary function. And so the last letter of your code, the judging or perceiving is not linked to a behavior, but it's linked to your functions. And this is how all perceivers share in their top two functions, the functions of FI, TI, NE, SE. So that's what the P in your code means. It means that if you have a P, your top two functions will contain FI, TI, NE, SE are in all Ps. It's not a behavior, but it, it is a, an indication of where your functions are. And so all judges in their top two functions have NI, SI, FE, TE. And these can cause radically different orientations that you go about life. And so these dichotomies don't have to be linked to any behavior. They can just be a way of spelling out your functions too, depending on how you choose to use them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it took me so long to figure out that connection. Um, when I first got into it, I saw cognitive functions and I saw that there was a pattern related to the letters and the cognitive functions, but I was immediately overwhelmed by the sheer quantity of information there was to learn. Um, so I chose not to until about four years ago when I actually started, you know, I was like, all right, 
if I'm gonna actually be obsessed with something, I better understand it. Um, and then I started really breaking down. And it's it's interesting because judges all use their introverted perceiving function, and extra uh, P's all use their extroverted perceiving function. Um, which introverted perceiving can come. I mean, I get why it's connected to judging, um, especially because it's compared. It's also combined with the extroverted um, judger. So you're, I mean, there's there's stereotypes that we can pull into here, but um, but uh, like extroverted perceiving with that introverted judging means you're you're looking out into the world, you're viewing the world objectively, and then you're judging it based off your own opinions, whereas judgers they they start with the inside of the world and then they look out to the people. Um, so it's just an interesting dichotomy. And I can see why it seems like Jay is for judging um, because in a way, when your perception is coming from within and then you're looking out to people, you're gonna see how those people line up to your internal perception. Whereas oppositely perceivers are looking at the world and seeing how that relates to their internal um perception of themselves so uh, yeah exactly uh, bravo <laughs> and, and, and yeah here, here's another way to look at the dichotomies so with judges because they have si or ni they're what dave superpowers calls them is uh chapter changing functions so it needs to flesh out an entire chapter in its mind whereas like ne and se are channel changing um, mm. So they, they change from topic to topic with ease because NI and SI, they, they prefer not to change topics rapidly, but to flesh out one fully. What will happen is like, they need to rid themselves of distractions in the outer world uh, in order to focus on fleshing out the internal perception fully. And so sometimes judges will have more structure externally um with te it's more noticeable well fe like social structure but um so they do that so then they have the freedom to roam inside themselves their perception to its full chapter end whereas like with perceivers perceivers have any or se it's okay if their routine is disrupted by a distraction like they're it, it's easier for them because they are able to like channel change their perception. So they were never fully fleshing out anything to begin with. So something coming in and distracting them from their one train of thought, like it, it's okay, like they're fine it's with very it. welcome usually. <laughs> yes, <laughs> get me out of my head, thank you. Get me into something new, thank you. <laughs> yeah, and that's why you'll, you'll see certain behaviors correlated with the dichotomies, but behavior does not equal like Jungian cognition, but you see why people started to create stereotypes off of that when it doesn't have to be true, but you can see why it came to be. And, and so yes. Michelle, you had this awesome concept of synotypes and you're like, so each type has four types that it is likely to mistype as. And I will put them in the description below as well as Michelle's wonderful channel. And so you can see all the synotypes of your type. And so I just like to talk to you about it. <laughs> Okay. I, I, um, I really enjoy the concept of cenotypes. Like when I, um, first was thinking about it, it's like, there's, it's, 
so common. Like I see people all the time, like, am I an INTP or an INFP? Well, of course you're confused because your middle two functions are exactly the same. So you share so much in common in terms of kind of problems that you struggle with um, and the way that you see the world is going to be very similar because that's your perception functions. Those are like how you look into the world and they're so integrally linked. Of course, you're going to get confused um, or INTJ, INTP. I think um, there's just a, a, what's the word? Is it the temperament class? Temperament, yes, that's the word I was looking for. <laughs> My goodness, was that hard. So INTPs and INTJs are gonna have a similar temperament and predisposition to more NT kind of topics and kind of interests. Um, and then sharing your lead cognitive functions. So being confused between, you know, like I was saying, ISFP and INFP, they're both leading with that introverted feeling. They they wanna understand where they fit in with relationships. They They think a lot about their relationship with other people. And they're constantly in that mode of thought. And they're also thinking about, you know, what they value and what they don't value. And so they're gonna have so many of the same struggles um, and they're going to be very similar outwardly, I think, in a lot of ways. Um, and then that E and I is just, I mean, they're the same cognitive functions. And, you know, as an ENFP, I can get in an FISI kind of loop where I'm just like stuck thinking, like I said earlier, like thinking about, you know, what I did and how I did it wrong and how I feel about how I did. And, you know, just like going down this internal rabbit hole. And for an INFP, they could see themselves getting in an NETE kind of mindset where, you know, they're just creating and they're trying to make these new systems and they're creating and doing all this. Um, and they feel really uh, empowered by their ability to create and be be in that mode. But it's it's more about that trend over time than it is these individual moments with type. Sure. I mean, the possibility exists that someone could turn from an INFP to an ENFP if we use this definition of trends over time. Uh, but it's it's not as likely, but it is, I guess, possible. I can't, I can't refute the possibility of that happening, uh, especially with repeated, you know, trauma could definitely turn an ENFP into an INFP or vice versa. I think it's very possible because uh, trauma tends to be repeated and has a long lasting effect on somebody. Um, and, and it makes sense why all these, these mistypings happen when you look at how similar they really are and, and why and where that similarity is coming from. And I think if you can pull out why you're, why you think you're one of these two types and pull out that similarity, you can then more clearly look at the personality. Like INTPs and INFPs are so, so different, but they're, they're, they're so similar at the same time. Like they're going to be much more balanced. They're not going to jump to a lot of conclusions. Um, they're going to be a little bit more head in the clouds, but INTPs are so coldly rational to a, to a degree. Um, and like we were saying earlier, they get very guilty about hurting people's feelings with their logic. INFPs aren't so much gonna feel that, they're gonna feel more outrage about the way that people are acting and whether or not the way people are acting is right or wrong. Um, because it's about the TE, the action and the productivity, like you said, with TE. Um, and they're, it's so funny that they get confused 
because they're so different, but it makes sense because they're, they're overall from the outside could seem really similar. And, and an INFP is going to feel like they're logical, right? They're going to think that they think things through because they do, because it's not about, do you think things through? It's about your cognitive functions. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Preach it, Michelle. <laughs> I'd go to a TED Talk where you just talk about that topic. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that'd be fun. <laughs> but yeah, mistypes happen in all flavors. A mistype that I've, I've seen really common nowadays is um, ISFPs who think that they're INFJs initially. So oh, yes. Yeah, that happens because um, ISFPs are, can be very intuitive and they... <laughs> there's there's a there's a running joke so my friend Heidi Parib she has a an ENFP book boot camp and she's thinking about like making more boot camps for the other types and so her her, her girlfriend is like oh why don't you make an ISFP one and then Heidi's like they'll never buy it and then her, her girlfriend who's an ISFP is like sure they will just call it the INFJ boot camp yes. <laughs> so true dude I oh my gosh and you know what I can see it because like, for example, we could talk about my sister again. I could see how people might perceive her as an INFJ. She's really into tarot cards. She's incredibly spiritual. Um, she is always trying to read into the future and see where things are heading. She's always trying to make predictions about people's behavior. Um, <laughs> but the FITI, like, how do you not see that? <laughs> No, no, I do. I respect it, though. I respect why that could be confusing and why ISFPs would think that they're INFJs. Um, because again, with that conscientiousness, like they want to be able to follow through with their goals, they want to accomplish things who doesn't want to accomplish things. And in order to accomplish, you have to be conscientious, you can't just willy nilly go on forever. There's too many consequences to that. And conscientiousness is a required trait that you need to learn if you want to accomplish things. Like you can try to pretend all you want, but that's not the case, but it is. Um, and, and ISFPs see that especially because they want to do something with their lives. A lot of them have goals for what they want to do um, and how they want to do that and how they want to accomplish their goals. Um, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just like, the FI though. Yeah, the FI is so prominent. It smacks you in the face. Yeah. And, and, yeah. And so ISFPs, they can think that they're judgers because if you go off behavior, they have SE and TE. SE is very good at being in the present and making the most of the moment. And TE is good at getting stuff done. So when you have these two together, ISFPs, who are also Enneagram 3s, not to mention like the achiever, can really think that they're INFJ because it, they're like, oh, I'm so judger though. But it's it's not a behavior. Like judging isn't a behavior. It's the combination of N-I-S-I-T-E-F-E -E working together. So that's what judging is. <laughs> yeah, I can, again, I can respect that and I can understand that. And, I, and for anyone who is watching, who feels like they're an INFJ, or you, you believe that you're an INFJ, I'm sorry if it comes off as if we're saying you're automatically an ISFP, that's not the case. It's very likely or possible that you could be an INFJ. We just have skepticism because so many people test that way. Um, and a lot of ISFPs test that way. Um, uh, and I just wish you could accept your ISFP-ness <laughs> if you are an ISFP. <laughs> 
Yeah, like we're not saying that you're mistyped if you're an INFJ. There, you're you could definitely be typed correctly. Um, but I see a strong trend with the ISFPs I know in real life, um, automatically thinking that they're INFJ off the bat. I guess the reason why we're passionate about it is we don't want to tell you what your type is. Like you are the expert on yourself. But what we're saying is that when people don't give their type a second thought, it, it causes a small problem. So you have one person mistyping, like an ISFP mistyping as an INFJ. But what happens is that now then you have 10 ISFPs mistyping as INFJs. And then the, the number multiplies as right. people start taking 60 per, 16 personality tests. And then what happens from that is the INFJs will read the INFJ description and go like, why does this not sound like me? This sounds like, it's like um, you're reading a description on your pet cat, but it sounds like it's talking about a bird. And so you're like, why does it say that my cat has wings? <laughs> and so like it causes a pandemic of mistype. So now, now INFJs who are real INFJs might doubt their type because they're like, I I'm reading this description right. and fit me and so right and then you'll have um, more fi users reading the infj description and going like that fits me because it was written about an isfp but it, it fits them because there's some fi in the infj so then now you have like infps mistyping as infjs and then <laughs> and, and so the problem goes on like it's a ripple effect of problems right. and so i'm not saying that like you're mistyped if you're an INFJ, you could be totally typed correctly. But um, what we're talking about is like this ripple effect that um, I, I would like to stop because it like to give type credibility, to, to give it some sort of footing, people have to be correctly typed or else right. it, it's gonna seem like hogwash because nobody knows their actual type. Right. But a lot of people do. I, I'm not saying that right. you don't, you, you, no, you guys do yourself. It's definitely uh, a difficult problem to address, right? Because a lot of times people will be mistyped and then they'll start making YouTube videos or blog posts or posts on Reddit um, where they're talking about their experience as their type, right? And that will, like you said, compound the mistypings because the more we start to read information that's written by the wrong type, but we relate to it, we're gonna see ourselves more as the wrong type because there's nobody writing, like there's not very many ISFPs out on the internet who are openly ISFP. It's hard to yes. find people who are openly ISFP. Yeah. Um, and so the amount of experiential information that we get or um, anecdotal information that we get from ISFPs is given to us in a form that is not ISFP. We're getting it from a different type label and then we assign those traits to that and i mean i've done that too like with tim who's an intj i thought he was an infj for years because he's sensitive and he's very charismatic and he has all these things that seem like infj um and you know i am culprit to putting stuff out on the internet where i used him as an example of an infj which is causing misinformation about what an infj is um, and so it's definitely a difficult problem to address because I don't think it's right to just go over to people and be like, you're wrong about your type. You don't know anything because first of all, what do you know? How do I know that you know what you're talking about? First of all, <laughs> second of all, uh, a lot of identity is wrapped into your personality type and to attack someone's personality type is to attack their identity. Um, and especially with an ISFP identity is the most important thing to them. That's all that matters is their personal identity. And if you say that they're wrong about their personal identity, um, 
that is so hurtful. Like that is traumatizing in and of itself. Um, and so I don't, such a large problem. I don't even know how it could even be got, begin to be addressed. It, it, it can't be, it can't be fixed overnight, I guess, is the ultimate reality. Yeah. But as an idealist, I guess it, I would like to one day maybe create an environment where people would be okay with double checking their type. No, you could be correctly typed. And, and I believe in people. I, I, my heart wants to believe people when they say they are a type. Um, yeah. Um, I'm the and, same. And some, mm -hmm. Yeah. And so my hope for the community is in order to, to give type like a, a, a better foot forward for the future, we we have to like not not water down the truth and the truth is like we we have to address mistype and another like and but it's hard because another conflicting factor is that trying to tell someone like they might be mistyped is like organ transplants so you you give them a new heart and it's like it's kind of out of your control whether or not they they take the heart or like right. their body will reject it and it's like you have to wait and sometimes people are receptive to to hearing another perspective um as long as it's not like intentionally trying to hurt them um but sometimes they'll reject the organ because it's mm -hmm. like you said michelle it's so close to people's identity um it's like you know when you go to get your hair cut your your hair can be a part of your identity and people can cry after you know cutting their hair because it can be so important to them and so telling someone that they might be mistyped, it, it can be like an organ transplant. And, but we have to continue giving each other organ transplants because you cannot let type as a whole die with organs that are failing for it. Mm. <laughs> I guess, you know, I, I agree with you. Um, I think that if you're going to try to tell somebody that they're the wrong type, first of all, don't do it in a public platform. That's just yeah. rude. Um, yeah. That's that's looking for a fight. Second, provide some reasons <laughs> as to why. Um, and if your reasons are a, a fallacy, be willing to let them be called out too, because you could be wrong as well. I've had people give me very interesting reasons as to why I'm an, a different type than I am. Like someone told me I'm an ENFJ because I clapped in a video to add emphasis <laughs> because I went, like that which is a meme it's a meme it's not like something that i'm always doing i'm not always like clapping to make a point i made that particular point with a clap because at that particular time it was a meme and i was trying on the meme for size but it's interesting that you would think that my whole identity is wrapped up in that clap because i clapped in one video <laughs> that's, <laughs> so salty. that's true i would be salty too yeah i i totally agree so it's like people when they call out mistype, they can also be wrong about the mistype. That person could be correctly typed. And it's almost like, here's another problem in the community. So if you're not in completely in line with the stereotype of that type, people start to question your type, which is wrong too. Because then you're creating, you're, you're making boxes for people. Right. And you're like, you can't be this type unless you're a box. And then you you suddenly make type so much less appealing than what it originally was. Yeah. And so it's like, maybe they're very like atypical or, or even like, okay, what, what I don't like about people calling out like interesting cases of type, cause it's like, oh, you're less valid if you don't have all the stereotypical traits, but no, you're just as valid a INFJ or ENFP or whatever type you are, even if you don't have the stereotypical traits in case, I mean, 
even so, you it, it brings interestingness. It, it shows like, wow, this type is capable of doing that. That expands my idea of what this type was able to create. Yes. And, and so it should be used as like a mind blowing exercise. It's like, wow, my mind is blown. You know, it yes. can be like this instead of like being close minded and being like mistype when it, they're just when they're trying to develop a personality outside of a stereotype. Right. It's, it's kind of like it, it creates this environment where you're not encouraging growth because it's like, mm -hmm. oh, if you grow, I will then punish you for growing because then I will call you a mistype. But what right. if like now you're telling that person don't grow and then that's the opposite of what we want for type like we want right. you to grow <laughs> yeah i think the number one ap application of type is for self-growth uh and you're absolutely right that by calling somebody who is not a stereotype not their type i mean you're you're invalidating the growth and development that they've done. Sometimes it does validate me. Like somebody called me an ENTP the other day and I was like, oh, I've been working on my TI, but I don't agree with you. But by disagreeing with you, I'm gonna show TI. So I'm kind of in this weird limbo land where I, I don't agree with you. And uh, I find it really kind and nice that you recognize that I've developed this TI enough to where you could think that I'm an ENTP, which is an interesting possibility, but um, that that actually felt nice to be to be mistyped like that because it showed my growth. But there was a, a another part of me that was just like really upset. <laughs> um, but I think I think if you're going to tell somebody that they're the, a mis that they're mistyped, do some research as well. Um, and recognize where there are some pitfalls. Like you are not going to accurately type somebody based off a presentation that they have on YouTube. YouTube is a place where people are trying to get views. They're trying to get people to watch their channel. So they're going to adopt certain traits that may or may not be associated with their type in order to progress their YouTube channel. You might have some people who are just like, really just they do their thing no matter what and that's that but most people if they want to be successful on youtube have to sacrifice some of themselves in order to get people to watch their channel um and the only i think the only way you're really gonna get to type somebody accurately is through one-on-one -on -one conversation or potentially yeah. watching interviews but even still there's some possibility for mistyping through interviews because like people could be prepared ahead of time for the interview or they could try to be appeasing the person that they're interviewing with and change some of their behavior to um, make the conversation easier. So there's like a lot of uh, reasons why YouTube is not a good place to type people. <laughs> <laughs> it's but. true. Yeah. It's like when, when you're calling out mistype to also be cognizant that you're seeing like an hour of this person you haven't been with them their entire life you don't have that longitudinal idea of who they are you you have this narrow idea of who they are which might be accurate or might not you know so it's like to be humble and to be like i only know what i know and that person you know they've lived their entire life as themselves and to not like assume in a space like it can be kind of invasive people's opinions too as a youtuber i get that <laughs> like they yeah. think that they're entitled to tell you th their opinion, even if it's rude or mean, but it's like, yeah, it's like, it, it's okay to, to, to say those things, but to remember that you don't know that whole person's life. 
and YouTubers only show what they want to show. So there's also that. <laughs> yeah. But and on so the other end, if you are somebody who is professing to be a specific type, it's important to be open to their, to their, to somebody telling you that you might be incorrect. Um, like Taylor from Flow State, if you guys have watched him, he's an ESTP who thought he was an ENTP for a very long time um, for a lot of very valid reasons. I mean, they're, they're, first of all, they're a sinotype, but also they just have a lot in common because they have the same two middle functions and they have a lot of the same problems and strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. Um, and for him, it was because a couple people called him out um, that he was able to change his mind. Um, and, and just considering what people have to say, like when I've been called INFP a lot and I've tried considering, but then I meet INFPs and I talk with INFPs and it's clear the difference between their connection to FI and my connection to NE and vice versa. Um, we, you put a lot of trust in your main cognitive function. Um, that's where almost all your trust is. And you may not even be aware of how much you're using your main cognitive function. Um, and it, it can be important to take what people say and just consider it. And, you know, you might be upset. I've been very upset sometimes with the way people have mistyped me. Um, but it's important to take a moment to consider it and realize where they're coming from and why they see that. And just reflect on it because even if you're wrong uh or even if they're wrong there's there's probably truth to what they're saying and you know this might be the perception that you're putting out is that the perception you want to put out do you want to appear more like one type or the other um i don't think it's a bad thing if i come off more like an infp or if i come off more like an enfj there's pros and cons to doing that um it it may make people question my type, but maybe for a specific video, I want to come off that way. Or maybe, you know, I want to dial in my any a little bit <laughs> because it can be a little <laughs> bit much, you know, whatever. Like it could be beneficial. I don't know. I'm rambling a little bit. Sorry. <laughs> oh, it's totally fine. Yeah. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you're an ENFP. <laughs> Sorry, anyone who doesn't think so. <laughs> Thank you for recognizing that. <laughs> and so any final thoughts, Michelle? Um, really just uh, learn the cognitive functions. It's a lot of fun to do that. And um, if you can break down the difference between behavior and mental process, it'll help a lot more with understanding personality. Um, it's, you know what, I, it took me six years to even consider looking into cognitive functions. So if you're not ready for it, I respect that. Take your time. But just know that if you try to tell someone they're the wrong type and you haven't even looked into cognitive functions, you're, I mean, the TI people out there are going to destroy you. <laughs> <laughs> In the name of truth. It's not yes. true. It deserves to be destroyed by the truth. <laughs> yes. I'm not a huge fan of C.S. Joseph, but he does have a good word for T.I., which is the fiery sword of truth cutting through the BS. <laughs> so true. <laughs> yeah. T.I. Um, it's going to aim its... Uh, it, it's... I don't have... I don't have the any to make it cool. <laughs> 
<laughs> but yeah, uh, thank you, Michelle, for coming on. It was a pleasure to have you. You are clearly very, very creative in how you see things. You provide me perspectives I've never thought of. So when you talk, I realize that there are bases that I, I haven't covered yet. And your extroverted intuition is really good at coming up with different ways to see things that I have not like focused on enough. And I'm like, wow, I should be considering that. So you brought in my scope of consideration and I appreciate you for that reason. I also really appreciate your hair color. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a really rad color of purple. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I, oh, sorry. No, yeah, continue. I was just going to say, I really appreciate, first of all, for you even considering to invite me to your channel and to having this conversation. Um, I think that you should definitely appreciate the fact that your introverted intuition allows you to get the depth of knowledge that I would never be able to get to, or that, you know, sometimes I should spend more time focusing on an idea instead of just throwing it out there and letting it be and then never coming back to it. Um, so it's nice that uh, what I appreciate about NI in general and INFJs, including yourself, is going further into depth into concepts that force me to recognize whether or not there is actual value in the idea and also to recognize the full value of an idea as well. You can always outsource your idea completion to these NI doms here, man. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And that's what we love about you as any users. <laughs> you you provide me like a breath of fresh air from the staleness of that like singular idea. Because sometimes I can get like um I can like want to flesh out like a singular idea too much. I it ends up starting to feel like slightly stale. And I think mm. all introverts in some extent like if they're too buckling down on their introverted functions can feel like they're getting stale because it's they're in their oh, wow. intro all the time. Mm -hmm. So you help us as an extrovert and as an any user, you help me reduce the staleness in my life. You add um color to the staleness. Oh. So. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it was great having you on. Thank you, you audience well. members. Yeah, it was <laughs> great having you on. Uh, thank you for listening this far, you guys. Uh, uh, audience members are great and I'll see you in the next episode bye all bye <laughs>